Thank you, young people, for that beautiful offering of music. And I also want to thank them. You know, um, I ran into them coming in one of the nights this week practicing. And, you know, when you offer up something that's unblemished to the Lord, it's especially sweet savor to Him. So thank you for all of you that are working behind the scenes, doing things most people don't know about. I know I ran into one of our uh, men here that was out on many cold challenges over the last few days, taking care of the boiler system on our university. And there have been different men and women here doing the same kinds of things. Thank you. Uh, We don't see you at work cleaning sidewalks and making sure we have comfort, but we are grateful. Let's pray. Lord, as we open the Bible and as I testify of your goodness, I pray that your spirit would be here, that our hearts would be soft, that we know the great calling is in your work, no matter what kind of work we're doing. So I'm praying, Lord, for school, for work, for home. I'm praying for neighbors. I'm praying for communities local and far away. And I'm asking, Lord, that your spirit would rest upon us and that you'd raise us up to honor and glorify your name. Please be amongst us, teach and impress, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. I want to share something with you I didn't share with the first service. Uh, Not this week when it was super cold, but a week before, we had a water line break in the church. And it was over here in the men's restroom. And I want to tell you how God looks out for us. This water line was behind a vent. And unfortunately, and I surely would hate for anybody to try and figure out how it happened, but unfortunately, and I'm guessing it happened several years ago when we were trying to save money, the vent was placed in the wall to allow warm air into the cavity because the pipe was running in an outside line and an outside wall. So there was a vent there about this big. But in an effort to save money, somebody had taken the vent off and put in cardboard behind the vent. So now it's no longer a vent. There's no warm air going into the wall. Well, on Tuesday night, a week ago, so this is about 10 days ago, Uh, The fire department calls Lon Reinholtz, who uh, has the unfortunate blessing of being on the call list when something goes wrong here. (laughs) And when you get a call very early in the morning, and it's a problem, what Lon came over to was, uh, he was actually here a little before the fire people got here. At first, they didn't really think you ought to be in the building, but after they went in and they realized they needed somebody who knew the building... When they got inside, they went down into the youth kitchen. They heard water running in this bathroom over here in the wall. They went down into the kitchen, and the kitchen next to the youth room, the tiles, the ceiling tiles were a mess. Water had run through the cabinets and into the closet. He was working in the dark (laughs) with his headlamp and his shop vac, and reinforcements came. It was wonderful to see the church turn out to take care of this mess. But I'm starting this meeting just a little bit different, this service, because I want you to know something. In spite of the challenges of life, the Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of most of them. Is that what it says? No, out of them all. That water 
could have run for days because we don't go downstairs and we don't use those restrooms during the week. But in God's providence, he took something that could have been a disaster, not quite like the worldwide flood, but it might have felt like that for us. And he caused the water to run through the grid and across the tiles and short out a smoke alarm, which brought the fire department and our own uh, men and women. And instead of that thing running for days and somebody going down there and going, oh, we can swim down here. It was found within hours of it going off. And then I'm going to tell you something else. (laughs) Because of the good relationship that some of our men have in this community, a plumber was called. You know, it's a great way to make money in the winter going around fixing people's pipes that burst. But I want to tell you something. When this plumber was done, he handed us an invoice and he said all he wanted was a tax-deductible receipt that he came and took care of it. Can you say amen? amen? I'm praising the Lord for the relationships of the people, the generosity of the plumber, and what could have turned into thousands of dollars will end up being a little bit more than what our deductible for the insurance would be. So we don't, I'm not sure how we'll take care of that in the end. It hasn't been decided yet. But I want to praise the Lord because He saved us from trauma that we might not even know existed for hour after hour. But God in His goodness short-circuited, literally, a fire alarm so the fire people would come. And we're, we're here today. We're sitting in a church. God's blessed us immensely, mostly with His Spirit, also with the resources we need and with a vision. Now, most of us know the Ten Commandments. Eight of them say, don't do this. Two of them say, do do this. You can figure it out and you can understand that all of them are an injunction to do good. Eight of them are worded in a warning. On the wall behind us is a reminder that there's a people at the end of time who keep the commandments of God and they have the testimony or the faith of Jesus. This morning I want to talk to you about the 11th commandment for just a moment because this is the one that it's very easy not to fulfill. Now, I've plucked this verse from Matthew 28, verse 19. And of course, there's a missing word. And the missing word I was reminded after the services can be found in the word God and gospel. It's this word, go. Now, we know with modern science that sitting in our chair and staying, that fossilizing on our furniture... It's as bad as smoking cigarettes. The new pack of cigarettes is your office chair. But you know what? There might be a perfect corollary or teaching symbolism for spiritual vitality as well. And here I'm today to assure you that there are special blessings that come from God when we seek to give the three angels messages that God doesn't send to those who fossilize on church furniture. Now, I'm here today to talk with you about your neighbor. I'm here today to talk with you about your coworker. I'm here today to talk with you about the person in your home who's not sure about God or maybe have said, I don't, I don't get it and don't want to get it. I'm here today to talk with you about neighbor to neighbor just down the road, one of our collective missions. I'm here to talk with you today about 
the least of these ministries that monthly make a journey over to Chicago and the mission we have in Brazil. I'm here to remind you today that deep in the heart of the Christian filled with gratitude for the new assurance of eternal life based on Christ's gift to you, not your obedience, there is a growing desire to live for Jesus. And that means to let the rest of the world know. Now the problem is the devil's out hawking his wares, trying to sell things to us that short-circuit our own spirituality to where we'd feel very unnatural talking about God. We sense that there might be dwelling within us a measure of resident evil, and we feel a little bit disingenuous taking the name of Jesus on our lips because uh, whether it's the Holy Spirit or the devil, one way or the other, we feel just like we shouldn't be moving two directions, one way with our mouth and another way with our actions. So starting this sermon out, I just want to remind you there is an 11th commandment. It's not a suggestion It's not a good idea. It's the directive of Jesus. And it is the priority of all those that have tasted and seen that God is good. The word is go. And it's the first word letters in God. And it's the first letters in the word gospel. And it should be part of the mantra of our life. And I hope you're not so busy going that you get up in the morning and you don't go to your knees and go to the word and go to Jesus in a sweet communion. So here we are the first Sabbath in February. The month of January has gotten away from us already with a good start. And I want to take you on a journey. Now, I am going to share with you. This is a little bit of an eclectic presentation. A little bit here, a little bit there. I'm going to try not to confuse you. Second service will probably get off a little better than first service did on the confusion factor because at least one of the stories I have to tell is a little bit of a challenge to follow. But they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And this morning... That's what I want to do. Now, I've made, with some of your brothers and sisters, the last visit to El Salvador in readiness for 150 people from seven churches. They're going to be gathering there. And in the process of going, it appears to me I couldn't get away without something to testify about. Now, that's the law of reform of church. The funds from this church have paid for that, praise the Lord. And that's the daughter church from the Fords. I've showed you these pictures before. The funds from this church paid for that. And this church right here is being built, not on this Sabbath day, because it's the Seventh-day Adventist church, but every evening, or many evenings, and most Sundays, they're here working at this church. And I told you about Brother Victor. That's his daughter, I believe, on the left, and his grandson on the right. He broke out into crying when some Americans showed up and talked about funding the rest of his church. It was a beautiful sight. He's a man of God, and he's lived to see his dream. And I shared with you about Steve Haddock's. His wife died about three years ago in that quest for meaning and future hope. He got a brochure in the mail called Unlock Revelation. And he went, and his pastor, which was once your pastor here, Pastor Ariel Roldan on the right, has been shepherding and discipling him. He was only baptized last March, but he was on one of the site visits with us. And while we were looking at those Honduran hills and me talking with them about going back and talking to their churches about helping our El Salvadorian friends, he said, I'll pay for this one. And he has. His check has come. Now I want to take you to just a few days ago. Here we are. The van is a small van by American standards, but it's pretty big for El Salvador. It holds 15 people if you fill up every aisle and pull the jump seats down. But it couldn't make the corner 
to get to this little church. And it didn't matter how many times the driver backed up and repositioned the van. He just couldn't get around the corner. So he went down another road, dropped us off, and we had to walk through some cow pastures and some farmland. So this is one of those old through-the-fence kind of mechanisms where people could get through but not cows. And I just made it through, and some of the rest of the team's coming. And the interpreter fell behind, so I kept walking. But you know what? I knew which way to go. Never been there before in my life, but I knew which way to go. You know how I knew? I heard singing. So I just kept walking across the field, and finally I turned a hard left, and I walked down, and I saw a car. And here are these people sitting around. They have never met us before, but they do know that there are a number of churches being built in El Salvador, and they know they want one. So what did they do? Well, they... uh, You see those footers that are dug in the dirt right there? They decided they were going to dig for the foundation even though nobody had made any promises. And I want to tell you what, (laughs) it had an effect. They were singing their songs. We walked up and asked them their questions. And the lady in the kind of chartreuse, whatever color sweater that is, she's a single woman. She is a farm worker. She works in the fields every day. So she makes around $8 to $10. She must have received an inheritance from her father and her mother. She had about three pieces of property. She wouldn't, you never would have known where the property had come from, except that in all of our site visits, we ask, because there's three things that make these churches work. Number one is the local body has got to come up with the property. Number two is the local body has got to come up with the volunteers because we don't pay people to build these churches. They're all volunteered. You're volunteering your money and your prayers and your support. They're volunteering their time and their evenings. And then the last piece is somebody's got to give them something hard to come by in El Salvador, and that's $10,000, and that's where we come in, all of us. So when we're going through the process, we're asking questions. She's a modest woman, and she stood up and she said, in effect... She had been going to church somewhere else, but she wanted something for this group of people, and she gave her best piece of property to God. (laughs) Now, we were quite impressed with all this, and when it was time to go, obviously these things give us something to talk about, and we walked away knowing this was a group of people who believed they ought to have a church. Now, somehow the word got back to Michigan. I'm not sure how. This is Pastor Alex Rybacek warm-hearted Russian pastor who pastors a little south of Grand Rapids. He called me up on Thursday and he said, Pastor, I heard there's a group in El Salvador who dug the foundations for their church but doesn't have the money to build. He said, some of my church people found out about it. And he said, we can't sleep. And he said, look, we've been raising money. I want you to hear what he said. We've been raising money for people to go on the mission trip by... And we've raised about thirteen dollars or $14,000, he said. But I don't think we're going to need all that. He said, Pastor, I've got people in my church who can't sleep. We want to build that church. Can you say amen? Now listen. <laughs> As the conduit of the heart opens, the things that God gives to us flow through more easily. Now, this is a church that was at the end of a, or it was along a road that our van couldn't go down. I want you to look at it. The uh, painted plywood's falling off the side on the top right. The corrugated metal's on the top left. If I take you around the corner, you can see they don't even have the money to paint it. And every winter when it rains, the mud works its way out from between these slats. This isn't a a mud adobe church. The best building is the one behind. That's a little, it's about the size of your garden shed. It was, there was money donated for the kids to have a Sabbath school room. And that's all the bigger it is. 
As we pulled away from that church, this is the next one. As we pulled away from that church, one of my former co-workers said to me who was on the site visit, he said, we wouldn't even park our car in that building. This church was up on a mountain. It was a steep enough hill and the roads were bad enough, kind of like old Roman roads. Maybe that would be an insult to Roman roads. I don't know. But uh, you can see that while you can't get the full sense of how steep it is, El Salvador is a very mountainous country. The car behind us is probably 30 or 40 feet, but it's vertically descended quite a bit. This van did not have a big enough engine to carry all of us that were in it up the mountain. So we got out. Then the van had a new problem. It didn't have enough weight over the back tires and it was spinning out. There was smoke pouring out from the bottom of the van. So the driver said, we need four people. That appeared to be the right formula. He put us in it. He got us up and we made it to this church. It's the same kind of church beautified by a shaft of light coming into the sanctuary, but there's not much there. And while it was nicer on the inside, all of our garages are better. Now, speaking of garages, this is one of the churches we're going to build. And as it turns out, this is actually where they hold church. There's Mr. Page. He's walking through the church. It just happens that like Pastor Clark there from Cicero, the church is held in a garage. It's in a carport. And if you could see in the back up here, there's a few televisions hanging from the back. They brought a little bit of high tech into their carport garage church. And the Sabbath school room is about as big or smaller than some of your walk-in closets. It's on the front of the church. They need a church. You know what the good news is? The good news is we're going to build them one in March. And even the property was donated while we were down there. It's going to be an exciting time. Now let's jump over to Eckes. Eckes is their Great Lakes Academy or Adventist Ac- uh, Andrews Academy. And Eckes is a place that uh, has gone through the, the doldrums. Now you know this is a sanctuary for the children of El Salvador where there's challenges with gangs. And this campus has enough dorm rooms to house, I would say, approximately at least 200 people in every dorm. It's a big octagon center with four branches coming off it, 16 rooms on every branch, and some of those rooms have two sets of bunk beds in them. There is currently on each of those dorms, there's one branch, there's one wing that's occupied. There's 80 students at the academy level now, whereas the year before there were 20, And the school is, for the first time in the last few decades, it's running budget neutral, which means the union is not having to pour lots of extra money in it to keep it going. Why? Because as a result of taking an interest in Central America, people from the Indiana Conference and now people from the Michigan Conference have said, you know what? For not too much money, we can make a big difference down here. And they have remodeled one wing on each of the dorms. And they're now remodeling a second. We will be living in the boys and the girls dorm on the newly remodeled wing. That means two out of four wings will be remodeled. This happens to be the restrooms. They'll still be very primitive for those of you that are going, but they won't be full of heaving floors, broken, etc. Eckes is a sanctuary for the young people of El Salvador. And to see that cafeteria not completely full, but filling with kids is a wonderful thing. Here's one of the centerpieces on the dorms. Now, speaking of the cafeteria, this is the end of the cafeteria that's been broken out. Why has it been broken out? They're enlarging the bathroom. Eckes is where they hold all their union gatherings. So they have up to two, 3,000 people on this campus. The bathroom had two uh, men facilities in it and two women facilities 
on the end of the cafeteria. They're breaking it out and expanding it. It'll work better for our group that's there in March, and it'll work better for every union event that they have there. This is another site that we will build when we arrive. And now I want to start the challenging part of the story. So put your seatbelts on. This is a man named Jack. Jack has decided that at the phase of life he's in, and he didn't just decide recently, that his business should be a way to advance God's cause. If you're a businessman here or an aspiring business person, I'd like to hold up to you this man as an example. He would not like me putting his picture up on the screen, but he's not here, and I'm doing it anyway. He has been seeking to challenge people to join him on this journey, which we have done. Now, Jack has an uncle who lives in Nolichucky, Tennessee, all right? Say that ten times in a row. And Jack's uncle and aunt are retired missionaries, so they run a bed and breakfast. And in their bed and breakfast all around, what do retired missionaries have in their houses? They have artifacts from all the places in the world they've been. So I want you to think Nolichucky, Tennessee, Jack's uncle. Now, this lady here we're going to call the magic moment lady. She happens to be talking with Pastor Aguillon, who is the secretary of the El Salvadorian Union, who has been right here on our platform back in September, and we gave to their treasurer two checks for $10,000. The magic moment lady used to work for the World Bank. She traveled the world. She's a treasurer now for a cleft palate group of surgeons who take part of their time and energy to go into third world countries and provide these surgeries free. Now, the magic moment lady has a daughter who was going to school in Boston and on her way from Colorado to Boston, she stopped at Jack's uncle's bed and breakfast, Nolichucky, Tennessee. The magic moment lady is there. And of course, while they're there, Jack's uncle, being a a mission-minded older man, starts talking with her. And pretty soon, he knows that she does cleft palates. And he decides that he's going to connect the cleft palate doctors with Jack in El Salvador. Great idea. She has an interest. And pretty soon, Jack says, I'd be glad to have you. Come on down, uncle, and bring this person and her team, and we'll see what we can do to help the people of El Salvador this way. Now, a problem develops. Between the time that Jack's uncle and the magic moment lady and her team come down, Jack's uncle gets cancer. And we could pray for him. This is a very current story. And he calls Jack up and he says, Sorry, Jack, I can't come. You're going to have to handle it. Now, Jack is a businessman. He's not a nurse. He's not a doctor. He knows next to nothing about cleft palates. And he's thinking to himself, What in the world am I going to do? I don't know this person. I've never met them. I don't know anything about connecting the dots for teams of surgery and hospitals, etc., etc. What am I going to do? Now, I need to tell you something about Jack. Jack has an international component of his country, and he travels India, China, all over the place. He has millions of miles on United Airlines, and he's met hundreds of people. He doesn't consider himself a very outgoing person, but I think it's a mischaracterization. He's a kind, friendly person. He meets lots of people. Now, Jack has a problem. In a few weeks, so this is back in December, January of this, the last two months, he finds out his uncle can't come. As a matter of fact, he finds out in the month of January. It's just barely February right now. I'm telling you a very fresh testimony. He's thinking to himself, I don't know how to help these people. I don't know what to do. 
Now, Jack has to leave El Salvador. It's going to be a few weeks before he meets the people. So he says, I've got to buy myself a ticket on the airlines. Now, when you have millions of miles in your travel award account, it's not hard for you to buy a ticket. As a matter of fact, you get all kinds of things that people like me don't get. And perks and privileges and extra bags. And he got online and he started trying to get his ticket. But he couldn't get a ticket for the night out he wanted to go out and it was a strange phenomenon. But he got one for the next morning. And while he's on his way down to the airport, he's putting his life in God's hand. Now he's expecting to sit back here where most of us sit, you know, three seats across. But instead, they bumped him up to this. It's a nice upgrade. And what Jack didn't know was that all the stress that was resonating in his heart as he didn't know what to do about the cleft palate people, God had it covered. Introduce Sharon. Now, I don't have a real picture of Sharon because Sharon is one of these God-appointed encounters that last for just a little while. So Jack is in his... Uh, let's go back here. Jack comes in and he sits down next to Sharon in first class after he's been upgraded and they get talking and Jack's all stressed out because in a few weeks he's got to be back here and help these cleft palate people. Now Jack's met a lot of people in his life but he's never met anybody quite like Sharon. So they're talking and what do you do in the first few minutes on an airplane? Uh, if, if somebody's going to talk to you that's when you find out in the first few minutes. And Jack tells what he does and then she tells what she does and his mouth kind of drops open and barely knowing this lady said, you are an answer to prayer. Now remember, they're leaving El Salvador to go back to the States and this is what the lady said she does. She said, I work with a group of doctors who do cleft palate surgeries. <laughs> now within a few hours, God has provided the supply for the connection. Now this is going to be very, very important because the magic moment lady... Okay, and I'm going to put all these people up on the screen again. Sharon is not the magic moment lady. She's got a name. The magic moment lady has a name too. I'm just not using it. And Sharon's not the real name of the other lady. But the magic moment lady who was taking her daughter from Colorado to Boston and stopped in Nolichucky, who's with another club pallet group, when Jack tells her this story about meeting Sharon on the airplane, she says, well, fairly secular lady, I just call that a magic moment, all right? So now I want you to lodge that in your mind. She's the magic moment lady. Now I'm going to take you down to the hospital. I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to give you all the details, but they are now standing in the military hospital in the pediatric part of the military hospital in El Salvador. They're standing there, but there's still a huge piece of the puzzle that has not come into play. Now, I'm going to take you another picture or so forward here. There's the magic moment lady. Let's go back just so you can see her. That's her. She's six feet tall, very distinguished woman in finance, formerly for the World Bank, and now the treasurer for this group of cleft palate doctors. Now, the colonel is in the fatigues. Pretty high rank in the armed services, but not high enough to invite the surgeons to this hospital. For that, another dot has to be connected. There's a general, a three-star general, and you have to get an appointment with him. Now, what you need to know is the magic moment lady had two hurdles at least to get over. Number one, 
Let's go back and make sure we've got magic moment, okay? Lady in the blue, Nolichucky, Tennessee. She's the second group of Clev Palette people that Jack's got to make arrangements for. She, while she's waiting to go to El Salvador, gets on the internet, and just like others who get on the internet without a bigger perspective, say, hmm, I don't think El Salvador is a safe place. I don't think we can go. Now you remember Sharon, the God-appointed person who worked with another set of cleft palate doctors and was on that airplane with Jack. Sharon ended up talking with the magic moment lady and assuring her that if you stayed out of the wrong places at the wrong times, it was plenty safe enough to go. That's the first obstacle covered. But magic moment lady needs an appointment with the general. She's been calling the general's office for several weeks and can't get through. The problem is probably that the general doesn't know her. Now here's a picture of the general. Now what I need you to know is that when you're a part of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you are a part of one of the most phenomenal networked organizations in all the world. Amen? Amen. And I'm about to show it to you one more time. Pastor Aguillon is the Secretary of the Union. Okay? He was right here. I mentioned him a minute ago. They're having a meeting. What everybody in the group doesn't know is that Pastor Aguillon, without knowing that this lady needed to see the general, and without understanding all of Jack's stresses, knows a Seventh-day Adventist lady in El Salvador who works for the general, and he makes an appointment for them for the general without anybody knowing the appointment has been made. And you can imagine what's happening to the magic moment lady as she's watching all this happen. She has a testimony at the end that says, I have never seen anything work out like this before. So here they are meeting in the general's office. That's the general there. He's talking to the magic moment lady. The colonel is right behind him. And the lady who arranged the meeting, a faithful Seventh-day Adventist lady who took her religion to work, is right there. Now, I don't care where you go. There's not a person you run into who shouldn't get the beautiful, sweet courtesy of a spirit-filled Christian who says thank you, who's polite and courteous, who's not bustling and pushing and irritable and in a hurry. The presence of Christ in a life is sweet and powerful. And it doesn't matter how much education you have. If you've been educated by Jesus and transformed by his indwelling presence, you are a force to be reckoned with in the name of Christ. And that's what this lady was. And they spent probably two or three hours together. The general was in no hurry. And when it was all said and done, these are the players. So let's just look at them. She went on a road trip, stopped at Jack's uncle's bed and breakfast. He was going to connect these three people together, but he drops out of the picture. Now, it's just him, and he doesn't know her, and he doesn't know her. But because God creates a providential moment on an airplane, these two connect. So now these two connected. These two connect. This is the one, do- the one woman that works with the cleft palate people. This is the other. This one ends up convincing this one you can go to El Salvador. All right? And eventually they meet, and the dots are connected this way because this faithful woman right here works for this man right here, and Pastor Aguillon gets an appointment nobody knows about, and everybody's jaws are dropping open as God provides to make sure there are disformed, disfigured children in El Salvador are going to be that way not much longer. 
It's a beautiful thing. Now, this might be the nicest part of the story. This restaurant doesn't look particularly fantastic except for the view. The view is of a lake that's in the top of an extinct volcano. And so that evening, after all this happened with the general and the colonel, and by the way, the colonel said to the magic moment lady, he said, I'm awfully glad you're working with the Seventh-day Adventists. They know how to get things done. (laughs) Amen? They take this magic moment lady and some of her friends out to eat. Now Jack is with his interpreter, and the interpreter is a young El Salvadorian, and she says to Jack, should we just bow our heads and have our own prayer? And Jack looks at her and kind of mumbles back, yes. As they're getting ready to bow their heads and pray... The magic moment lady, former World Bank executive of some sort, speaks up and says, aren't we going to pray for the food? God is at work showing that he's present and nobody had to do much except get out of their comfort zones. The word is go, my friends. Just a few more things before I finish. This is a walk-in refrigerator. The one at Eckes is over 30 years old. It's got holes in the ceiling. I wouldn't have noticed it, but uh, the cook for our group, Stacy Gusky, noticed it. And she thought to herself, hmm, maybe we could replace this for them. So she did a little searching on the internet, made a phone call or two, and figured her figures were wrong a little bit in the beginning because she didn't have a tape measure to measure. And she thought, I'll bet you for about $3,500 we can get them a new small walk-in. And she called somebody, a donor. The donor said yes. The problem is, I said, Stacy, that's bigger than that. So we walk back in, and I use my measuring tape. There's about six and a half feet right there. And I said, this thing's at least six by ten, eight by ten. Corey Bush walked in there with us, confirmed it. So she said, okay, that's going to cost more. She got on the phone, and uh, now the price was up to 8500 And she called the donor, and the donor said, yeah, do it. Well, we got back the other day, and wouldn't you know it, we put some El Salvadorian boots on the ground, and you can't really read this, but it says it will cost $12,659. And the donor says, do it. Can you say amen? Amen. Dropping a check off. Now, I want to tell you, it's one thing for an academy to become budget neutral to where you're not... The financial lifeline is the union. It's another thing when the infrastructure is getting built up because the worldwide family cares. Now listen, we're just one little part, but we're doing what we can. I'm going to end with these slides. This is the first church that Orly Ford built. Now it's been expanded and decorated more since then. I had the privilege of going there last Sabbath. This is the inside. You want to know how much it costs to build this church? It cost, back in the 50s, $10,000. Huh, interesting coincidence, isn't it? That's what we're paying. It's not quite as nice. I also had the privilege of going to his grave. Orly Ford died in 1972, December or November. That's not that long ago for some of us. His wife Lillian lived until 1990. She was 96 years old. What I need you to know about the Ford grave is it's on a beautiful high spot, kind of toward the San Salvador volcano, probably in what is the older part of the city. They've kept adding to that original 
church, and now they have a 11-grade school. El Salvadorian school only goes up to 11 grades for the, what we would call the high school part. They have a, a 1 through 11-grade school there with 600 kids in it. This is what the graveyard looks like, very colorful. That is his grave, both of their grave right there. She died in America and was cremated, and they brought her back down and buried her with her husband, but he didn't. Now, that's the old version of the book. I gave out, with the help of uh, my brother Ron Nott and Pacific Press and the funding of this church, I gave out 500 of these books. If you've got yours and it's sitting on a shelf, I encourage you to read it. These Fords still run. It's one of the last pictures of Orly Ford, and I learned about the last 15 days of his life. When Orly Ford was in his late 70s, he made one final trip to America, and his trips to America were always to get money. Yes, friends, that's something America has been good at. When he was on his last trip to America, he went to see his doctor. He had been battling leukemia. The doctor said to him, Orly, you have 15 days to live. Orly said to Lillian, pack your bags. We are going back to El Salvador. What Orly needed to do in those last 15 days is Orly needed to take the money he had collected and buy the properties for the churches that needed yet to be built because God's work must go forward. And he died in El Salvador and was buried there. And even though Lillian spent her last days in America, which was probably a better place for someone 90-some years old, it was her wish to be buried next to her husband. Now, I'm here to tell you, friends, we are in a position as a Seventh-day Adventist church where it is time for us to hitch our car to the locomotive of the three angels' message. And instead of talking about how it doesn't work and this method doesn't work, I'm afraid that the methods that work are the ones where we let God get us out of our comfort zone and get us into our discomfort zones and God starts stepping in to do things He wouldn't do if we didn't go. We're in a situation where whether it's for this conference or this union or this division or wherever it might be, that God is calling us to let us be used even in ways that we don't feel comfortable with. Now, when I said this was a little bit of eclectic, it was. I'm holding in my hands the treasurer's report for the finality of 2018. I was curious, so I asked the treasurer the other day. I saw her this morning. God sent her in early so I could hold this in my hands. I said, Rhonda, do you have a copy of the treasurer's report? I'm holding just a two-year comparison right here. I, I would be nice to have a four- or five-year comparison. But I am here to tell you this. The uh, tithe in the Michigan Conference went up by 3% this year. Praise the Lord. They're praising the Lord. The tithe in the division went up by 6-plus percent. They're praising the Lord. Can you say praise the Lord? The tithe at Village Church went up by 11.53% this year from $1.416 million to $1.579, an increase of 163000 326. The fund to put kids in our own school went up by $17,340 over last year. And at the end of the year, we collected $344,000 more this year than we did the year before. I don't think it's hurting us to experience the reflex influence as we take an interest in Chicago, in El Salvador, in Brazil, in Montana, wherever it might be. And I'm appealing to you and I'm affirming you in Christ. If, if Paul could brag on the, on the, the uh, 
members from Achaia, then I'm going to go ahead and in the name of God bless you in the name of Jesus and brag on you just a little bit for a few moments here. Somehow in the midst of the journey, God is not only meeting our needs here, but he is expanding our ability to serve. Now, I'm not here suggesting to you that we're flush with cash. You notice we never made it to our combined budget. The good news is we got past our expenses. I don't feel terribly bad about it because we raised tens of thousands of dollars for people in other places. I'm assuming a little bit of that combined budget money ended up going to El Salvador. I don't regret it, but I'm asking you not to do it that way. Now, I'm not raising money for El Salvador anymore, at least not now. I'm done, all right? We've pretty much got all that we need. The good news is, is that the people at ECUS have been hoping to have a college program on their campus, but the government tells them no and keeps telling them no. But they found a way to do it. There's a college in Costa Rica called Aluela. Some of you have been to it. I've had the privilege of being to it. They've worked it out where it looks like the Inter-American Division will work like this, that Aluela will have an extension on the campus of Eccles so that El Salvadorians who can't afford to go down to Costa Rica will still be able to get a college education because Adventists know how to work together. Can you say amen? amen? Listen, friends, whether it's the last 15 days of your life or whether it's the first few days of 2019, I'm appealing to you. I'm appealing to those of you who put an extra dollar because God blessed you into the tithe, and it went up by almost 12%. But I'm appealing to all of those who aren't giving a regular offering. You're returning your tithe, but you've never started giving an offering. I'm appealing to you to give three offerings starting this month. One goes to the combined budget of this church. That covers almost all our needs. You might start out just giving a fraction of a percent or a percent. Start with 1%. It won't break you. The second gift should go to Michigan Advanced Partners because you're sitting on pews that were paid for by Michigan Advanced Partners. I don't want you to forget this. And there are all kinds of kids from places like Laos and Cambodia who can't afford to go to school, and we help them go to school with Michigan Advanced Partners. Please find a way to economize and give a little bit to Michigan Advanced Partners. I'd suggest another percent. And then lastly, there's the world budget. You know, we belong to a world church. Praise God and hallelujah. If Pastor Aggie on and a faithful Seventh-day Adventist lady want to connect the dots so that a cleft palate team can get into the military hospital, that's something that couldn't happen without us being together as a family. The world budget must be funded. And I'm appealing to you. We're at the start of a new year. When I was a young man making next to nothing, I made $400 a month. I got married before I was done in college. Yes, I had my wife's parents' permission. I lived in a little house on Grove Street that just got torn down in the last few years. It had been a cow barn. I fed the cows at the dairy, and later on I shoveled snow with the grounds department. God opened up the door for us to live in what was a retrofitted cow barn where I couldn't even stand up straight inside of it. It had one little bitty wood stove that I found. I scraped together, found every little scrap of wood I could find, and I burned it. I paid $75 a month when everybody else was paying 200 and something. But even then, making only $400 a month, and I'm not bragging on myself, I was schooled in this by my wife's parents. Even then, we started paying an offering, giving an offering.
I don't pay tithe and I don't pay an offering. I give it. God gave it to me. What I'm saying to you today is, is that some of us could cut back on different parts of our lives and economize, and we could be putting fuel in the mighty locomotive of this three angels message that is changing lives everywhere we go. But the biggest life to be changed is yours and mine. Friends, faithful to the finish. The same God who sat magic moment lady that sat Sharon next to my friend Jack and connected magic moment lady to the general is going to get us out of this mess we're in and get us off this planet. And he's going to use us to save souls in the process. I'm appealing to you. Take time to get to know him. I'm appealing to you to remember every influence, every financial ability you have is a stewardship. And I'm appealing to you to someday hope that the greatest affirmation you ever get is the affirmation of Jesus who looks into your face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of your Lord. Let's stand and sing our closing Thank you for faithful retired missionaries 
who continue to think in the line of advancing your cause from Nolichucky, Tennessee. Thank you for a lady we called Sharon, whom you placed in a seat next to another faithful servant so that he could know you had him covered and that you could hold him up with your righteous right hand. Thank you for a lady, Lord, who went from doubting the providence of God to encouraging the blessing on the food and acknowledging by testimony that she's never seen anything work out like this before. Thank you for a colonel who will testify on behalf of the brothers and sisters of the Seventh-day Adventist Church in El Salvador. And thank you for every faithful Seventh-day Adventist in North America who's recapturing a sense of what it means to take their advantages and advantage the rest of the world. And I'm praying, Lord, bless this church more than you have already. And I'm praising you for what you've done. And I pray, Lord, may a sweet spirit be in our hearts, a collective oneness with our brothers and sisters in poorer places around the world. And I'm praying for the young people here, Lord, that they would sense there is a high calling in the dedication of their talents and their education and their relationships for you. And I'm praying, Lord, bless every older person who's carried the burden in the heat of the day. Bless the missionaries that have sacrificed years without anybody noticing. And those that have come close to the point of death. And I'm just rejoicing, Lord, that you could encourage us all. And none of us could say we could take the credit. That would be robbery. But it would be a lie, Lord, to say we weren't involved. And thank you for not passing us by. Now bless us as we go, wherever we go. And may your sweet spirit be in our hearts and our homes and our workplaces. Bless the rest of this day and the Pathfinder Bible experience that happens here this afternoon. In Jesus' name, amen.